Have you ever been certain your telephone would ring in the next 10 seconds? Or have you ever walked down a strange street and had the feeling that you knew what lay beyond the unturned corner? Yes? Then you've had a brief encounter with the world of the unknown. You are ready for the actual human experience that follows. This is what my grandmother warned me about. She would constantly be like, you can't talk about witches, they're gonna come after you. My grandmother would tell me stories about how like she saw ghosts and like other spirits in our household. And I'm like, I'm eight woman. You don't <laughs> tell this to an eight year old. Like I was scared to go into their, their guest room in our house. Our house in Chappaqua, New York is like, would definitely be indigenous grounds. Many tales of like Horace Greeley, other, we're very close to Sleepy Hollow. So you get all that jazz. And my grandmother was like, this is word for word. I remember this so clearly. I was playing with my American Girl dolls on my bedroom floor and she just walks in, goes, I was just visited by the spirit of a native person. His head, only his head. He's very mad. He wants you guys to leave. This is his property. He wants you to leave now. And I told him that he has to leave, that he's been dead for a long time, and that this is the house of my grandchildren and you can no longer harm my grandchildren or else I would be upset. Granted, this is all in Spanish, which makes it like 10,000 times scarier. But she continued to tell me about how this native person's head is just like haunting her bedroom, like threatening to hurt us because like we were on his land. I was scarred. I truly was scarred. And now sometimes I look back when I'm like reading stuff for like our archaeology class or our museum studies about like how the world of the US of A were just horrible to the indigenous people here and like how like us as like museum studies and archaeologists are trying to like help and like right some of the wrongs and like put in better practices and I'm like oh my god my grandmother she warned me about this spirits are mad they're gonna come after me. like any spirit she'd be like oh I saw your like great grandfather when your mother was born, I tried to allow him to hold her. Woman, do you not know how this works? Y See, you don't... theoretically, aren't ghosts not able to touch things? I don't, that's what I thought. And she'd be like, yeah. And she'd be like, this when is I why die, I cannot have children. Yeah. Because what if they have imaginary friends and those imaginary friends turn out to be demons? I cannot oh. have that. Real scared. Alana, aren't you more afraid that your child's uh, imaginary friend will be, finish the sentence, straight? Jesus oh, Christ. That's good. I meant Hitler. <laughs> All problematic <laughs> things for, for I um, actually said Jewish that. People. Number one fear of me having children. <laughs> imaginary friends are demons. Number two, they're straight. <laughs> wow. You're more scared the demons will be straight than that they'll be Hitler? Hitler was straight. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History. The good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. I'm joined by an immaculate swamp witch by the name of Lexi. Lexi, if this podcast is actually magic, is there anything you want to manifest? Oh my god, I've got so many things, but you know what the number one at the top of my list is? What? Aaron Keefe is a podcast guest. Aaron Keefe, please, I love you. I worship you. You're my favorite. 
also with me is a gorgeous bog hag named Haley. Haley, what would get you accused of witchcraft if you lived in the 17th century? Just me being me. I probably would could have lasted like 30 days in like the 1700s. My parents would not have been pleased with me as a being. They weren't. And I'm Alana and my mom says I look like a witch when I brush my teeth with charcoal toothpaste tabs. The modern image that we have of like a witch, green and with the hat and etc., is rooted in anti-Semitism. Like you have a, a big hooked nose, curly or unruly hair. A lot of a lot of Disney villains are Jewish coded, and I um. Cause Walt Disney was anti-Semitic. Walt I was Disney about was to whisper Nazi. the same thing. Walt Disney Oof. was a Nazi sympathizer. That's true. Yes. That's a fact. But like Mother Gothel, entangled. Jewish coded. Also, Jewish people and witches were persecuted for the same reasons because there were like perversions on Christianity. I'm going to link to the book that I read about this, which I actually bought for funsies, for funsy reading. And then I wrote a paper about witchcraft. And when I Googled sources on the GW library system, this book that I owned came up and that was cool. I felt very smart. So it's important to think about when you're like doing prosthetics as a witch like to do that kind of thing is that it's not so much anymore but like the context like the goblins thing how jk rowling she wrote the goblins as an Mm anti-jewish statement which Mm -hmm. makes sense jewish people have been saying that forever yes yeah she's problematic also people should be careful how they portray themselves in costumes as witches because there are actually people who religiously practice some of the things that we consider to be like fairy tale spooky witchcraft but there are actually people in different sorts of pagan religions and witch religions people who believe certain things so when you appropriate the religion in a costume that's not very nice so when you wear a witch costume don't use religious symbols or religious props please don't go buy white sage i've seen so many like pinterest ideas where it includes like white sage or like hanging crystals and no like we want to go for marnie piper from halloween town like that should be our goal people that should go to target buy a witch hat good to go finally be talking about a Korean lady. And if you've never listened to the pod before, this is fascinating because Korean is the language that I studied in college and I have yet to do a Korean lady on this podcast. I always do a lady from another culture and then another language is used and I don't understand the language. So I have no excuses for things I say wrong this time, though I most certainly will still say some words and names wrong because I consistently was scolded by my Korean professors, my sansing nims, for my horrible pronunciation and my inability to speak Korean. It was the only class in college I got a C in once. Also, my knowledge of the language is not deep enough to interpret academic articles closely, so please bear with me if any of this information is slightly off because I can't read really academic Korean. Additionally, court documents from the period of Korean history in which my lady was alive were written in Hanja. Hanja was the writing system 
used to represent the Korean language that was basically Chinese characters representing Korean sounds of words. Hangul, the writing system which is used now to represent the Korean language, was invented by a Choson leader named King Sejong in 1443, and he will be important in this story. But it wasn't until much later that Hangul became the primary form of writing, and Hanja is still used today in some places. Because of all this, I learned Hangul in school, and I am unable to interpret any primary sources which are written in Hanja. Because of this, I am forced to rely on sources that are uh, less established than I would normally use. Please feel free to correct me in the case of any errors so that I can include a correction update on this topic in a future episode. So if you have the ability to read Hanja or you can actually analyze these court documents that are the primary text, please, please let me know. Let's begin with some context. In the late 14th century, the 500-year reign of the Goryeo Kingdom in Korea came to an end. Split into factions. I have factions. a question. This is yes. a dumb geography question. Ask away. North Korea versus South Korea. Where are we? Because I feel like that's so different in the 14th century. No. Uh, actually, complicated question. So in the 14th century, the, the Korean peninsula and a little bit of China, if we're thinking in modern terms, were actually divided into three kingdoms. And Goryeo was one of the three. And so it's hard to say North and South Korea because that line is completely artificial and has nothing to do with past kingdoms. That's what I thought, but I wanted to make sure, like, if we're talking about a new area, I like to orient myself. Yes, so this is is Korea. It it can't be determined, like, it can't be boiled down because the borders changed over time. And we'll get into it, but... um. Chosan, I'll talk about specific cities and I'll give the modern city name, if that's helpful. So yes, Goryeo ended. There was a split into factions that was caused by political tension in China's Ming Dynasty. So the Goryeo elites were at odds over issues of land and leadership. And in the end, a coup overthrew the current king, the Goryeo king, and one faction placed their leader as a new leader of the nation. And it was renamed Chosan in honor of an ancient Korean kingdom called Gojoseon. The Chosan dynasty goes on for centuries, lasting from July 1392 to October 1897, when the nation's last royal dynasty, the Korean Empire, replaced it. So also another point of clarification, as I said a little bit before, all the events I'm speaking of take place long before the Korean War. So this is pre-1952, obviously. And therefore, both modern nations of North and South Korea can and do continue to claim Chosan as an ancestor. So if you go to North Korea and learn history, if you go to South Korea and learn history, Chosan is an ancestral people to both North and South Korea because modern Korea is a complicated place and it's really one single culture that's been divided and grown apart. So my lady, I'm very excited about, is Lady Huibin Kim who I believe may be our first lady on this podcast to actually hold the literal title of lady, though she was Korean, the translation into English is lady. So I think that's kind of fascinating. Am I right? Did anyone else ever do a lady who's a lady? I'm going to look. I think, I think she's the first lady. I'll keep talking about her while you check. Interrupt me and let me know if she's not. It is the first lady. Cool. Our first first lady. Our first first lady. Lady Huibin Kim was born in 1410 to the Andong Kim clan, a family of the Yangbang class, or in English, the aristocracy. 
Yangban families served as military officials and worked in the government and closely associated themselves with the ruling elite. Her father was named Kim Oman, and he was a leader in the military, and her mother was Lady Jung of the Jung clan, another elite family. In Korean tradition, women do not take their husband's name in marriage, hence why her mother retained the name Jung. Huibin's grandfather was also an established official who worked as a magistrate. When Huibin was 17, King Sejong, yes, the guy I mentioned earlier who invented the writing system, selected her to be a consort to his heir, King Mun Jung. Kim traveled from her home to the city that is now Seoul, but at the time was called something else, but it's for geographical reference, now Seoul. There, she met the prince. He took her to the palace where she began her life as a consort in the company of royals. She was given the title crown princess. In the winter of 1428, the princess was dissatisfied with the progress of her relationship with the prince. She was jealous when he courted other women, despite this practice being very normal for royal men at the time, most men had multiple consorts. She desperately wanted to gain his affections and be the sole object of his desire, so she turned to her maid, Hocho. Her maid instructed her to steal the shoes of the women her husband was flirting with, cut them to pieces, and then burn them to ash. Huibin was like, sure, girl, whatever you say. She tested the shoe method on two of her maids, you know, just to see if it would work. When the results were not to her satisfaction, she demanded more drastic means of winning over her husband's love. Hocho suggested that Huibin acquire a snake, drain it of its fluids, use a cloth to soak it up, and then wear it on her body. Is that where like snake oil comes from? No. Like the idea of snake oil? S- snake oil is the idea of selling snake oil as a medication for f- under false pretenses saying it will cure your ills. Right. But like, is it maybe from that? You don't have to say no. Um, I am unsure. I cannot say 100% yes or no, but I believe that's a European, like Euro-American yeah. thing. So I, it could be a culturally related thing, but I, I, I think it's like two different origin points since it's very different cultures if that makes sense. So the cloth, if worn in the presence of the prince, would have him falling in love with her in no time, the perfect fashion accessory for your next date night. Because you know, men love stinky dead snakes. We all know that. Men be snakes. Men be snakes. Men be snakes. They're attracted to their own. And like maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe some luxury Korean cosmetics brands could like get behind this magic. I'm thinking essence of snake perfume for the ladies looking for love. So like Etude House, uh, you know, Tony Moly, any of these companies, if you're interested, please give me credit, pay me some money. But I think oil of snake essence is going to be your next hit in the skincare realm. We would gladly sponsor such smells. No, no, no. They're going to sponsor us. Collab. Okay. We're going to collab. We're collabing. Yeah. This is a collab. Oh my God. Can we, we all could have call snake it the way too. Can we, like, our faces be like, on snake bodies no it's gonna be an aesthetic drawing of a snake and it's gonna be called huibin anyway (laughs) so while all this was going on another maid she found the ashes and charred pieces of the shoes which were being kept in a little bag she promptly freaked the fuck out she ran to hocho she was like give me an explanation bitch but she was instructed to hide the shoe remains and never mention it again King Sejong got word that the crown princess was acting kind of sus. So he locked her up in a room and he brought all of her staff in for questioning. Hojo was sent to Wigumbu, which is like a court institution. I think the modern comparison is the Supreme Court of Korea. So basically it's an institution that tries criminals. 
and the maid who found the shoe remains ratted out her co-worker Hocho and the princess Huibin and told the king where he could find the burnt shoe pieces. Sejong was, as one would expect, hella pissed. He was one of those most like kings to ever serve in Korea, and he was like fresh hot off of all these accomplishments. He would go on to be this guy who wrote an entire writing system as a gift to his people. He really hoped literacy in his country would grow. He was obsessed with bettering the nation. He like contributed to a bunch of industries, and he was like overall a pretty stand-up guy. So he'd made such an impact on Korea. He was going to make such an impact on Korea. He literally is called King Sejong the Great now. So like he's pretty baller. And he actually has a giant statue in Seoul city center. It's the only king who has a giant, giant statue right in the city center of Seoul. So this guy is legendary. And this one time he messed up. And the one time he messed up, it was in his role as a father. Despite being one of the most intelligent and respected men of his time, he had failed to pick a good daughter-in-law. So anyway, pissed at himself for picking what he considered to be a bad wife for his son, he ordered her name to be erased from the family temple, her seal to be removed, and her status to be demoted. Her father and brother were also demoted from their posts. Huibin, deposed and heartbroken, left the palace a commoner. She was shunned by her friends and family. Hocho was accused of instructing Huibin in methods of witchcraft and was beheaded. Some people at the palace believe there was more to the story. They pressured King Sejong into investigating further to see if anyone else was involved. They asked him to question the palace ladies and Huibin's relatives to determine what other parties could be working against the royal family. Sejong, already devastated by this blow to his fantastic reputation and the reputation he wanted to build, swept the case under the rug and refused to speak of any of it or to investigate it any further. There are some alternate versions of the story of which one claims it was Huibin, not Hocho, who was charged and executed for the use of magic. However, this does not appear in my searches. Very often, it only showed up once, whereas the version I recounted seems to appear quite more often. And also, a lot of cultural evidence from the Choson period suggests that this would not be the case. She would not be executed for this. While not much of Huibin's story remains, she left her mark on history for future generations to consider. Because of Huibin, we can question the roles of class, religion, magic, and gender in the Chosun dynasty. Many of King Munjong's consorts have been portrayed in Korean dramas and movies, but I could not find one that features Huibin as a main character. There's a Korean history reenactment show, like think drunk history, but no ALK, just actors and is supposed to educate you. And they have done a piece on her with actors in historical costumes, but she has not been in like a fictionalized Korean drama, which is kind of odd considering basically everyone in Korean history has had a Korean drama made about them. It's really common. It's like one of the number one forms of entertainment is historical dramas. So KBS, you know, somebody, one of the producers make a Huibin drama. The environment surrounding the events I described is quite different from that of witch hunts in Europe and America. And I know a lot of people don't know a lot about witch hunts that occur outside like the Euro-American sphere. According to an article published in the Journal of Korean Religions, during the Choson dynasty in Korea, those accused of doing magic were usually not executed. They were considered more so like shamans than witches. And while in Salem, witches were persecuted and usually killed in the region that will become Seoul, they were often persecuted but not executed. Which is interesting because we know Huibin was not executed for doing witchcraft, but her maid was executed for telling her how to do it. 
which makes for a fascinating case on status and whether teaching someone witchcraft is worse than doing it. If you're interested in learning more, I will include the article I just mentioned in our show notes. And to me, it is fascinating how different societies and cultures through history have reacted to claims of witchcraft and dark magic, or even to religious practice outsiders who basically thought that any religion that wasn't their own was magic. So I suggest reading this article if you are curious about these differences across cultures. Cool. in a different country today we're traveling to france 1600s france to be specific my fun disclaimer i very i know very little french the duolingo like intro levels where i'm at and of course me talking to all of you i'm gonna get nervous and it's gonna come out with a spanish accent or me reading it off my notes is gonna be like me reading spanish so i apologize in advance anywho we are going to be talking about Catherine Monivision ne Deches, or her witchy name, La Vision, which I believe in French is the neighbor. I thought like I got the name wrong in my head because I knew her as Catherine Monivision from a portrait. So the fact that your witch name is the neighbor is either really badass or just like you clearly didn't get to pick that. We're in a time-traveling vortex of history books going all the way down to 1600s France to tell the tale of a French fortune teller, poisoner for hire, and alleged professional sorcerer. And like I said, she has many names, and I don't speak French, so my apologies. But what I do know is that I could not find anything on her childhood. Or like a backstory. So we're just really diving deep into this history book. I flip my page with some fabulous flicks of the wrist, but really it's my iPad. And we go straight to her clientele. Her clientele were mainly upper class humans coming to her for love potion or poisons. I know, like really we go from like being in love to let's get you sick. And it was noted that she charged a very high fee for horoscopes. And that's like her good promotional stance or like if they're advertising her repertoire, it's very high fee for horoscopes. So she does do horoscopes, Alana. You could have gotten your horoscope taken by her. I wonder if like she got the bottles mixed up. I was thinking a lot about this and you'll kind of, I'm getting you guys ready, getting your taste buds ready for this story if she mixed up her potions, especially with like jars, like 1600s, I don't feel like you had that label maker that made like clean, crisp lines to label everything. But what caught her attention of the authorities or gave her that quote unquote witch title was that she was apparently ahead of this, the head of this group of Satanists and abortionists. Sounds like my Friday night. Yeah. And this is like medieval Satanist, medieval abortionist, which even my Google like drive Google Docs didn't like that word. And I had to like retype it out many times. And remember Satanist now or anyone in this like group is very different from like 1600s France. And some other descriptive phrases that were like flung her way were celebrating Black Mass or Le Mess, which 
was a quote psychodramatic ritual intended to disrespect the Church of Rome within its inversion of the Catholic Mass. That's what we were saying about like witches yeah. being a perversion on Christianity. Yes, yes. So again, thinking of Alana. And that's my time. Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> this included reading prayers backwards and using like the inverted crucifix and like this group overlapped and had alleged involvement with human sacrifice and forms of promiscuity. Other phrases were like practice or practitioner of, of abortions. And apparently all these phrases of hers just meant witch at this point. It seemed that like for her, there were like a lot of many different years and a lot of different many actions that kind of like lumped together made her witch. There wasn't necessarily like one specific act, but I'll get into like what made her really famous. But it seems that like she was known as a witch throughout the ages. Like she wasn't like prosecuted immediately for being a witch. And when she was on trial for being a witch, La Voisine and her group named more than 400 customers, mostly women, and wink, wink, nudge, nudge, had gotten like poisons from her to use on a spouse or someone they just wanted to get rid of. And the most notable name was the mistress of Louis XIV, Madame Montesepan. And that's where we get into the big overall case of the affair of the poisons. So between 1677 and 1682, this murder scandal was the major, basically like the highlight of 17th century France, because not only did it take a few years to like go through and then also like just the trial and everything, it involved the many of the heads of like the aristocracy, um, the bourgeoisie, if you will, and people who worked closely with King Louis XIV. And they were implicated, sentenced, executed, like across the board. It was these high powerful nobles being found to have some sort of relationship with witches or people who practice witchcraft. And again, we're going back to poisoning people. Um, and I just want to put it out in the universe that I would love to do a whole story on just this scandal because I feel like I just scraped the surface not only with my research now, but what I'm telling you guys to keep it like succinct and about her. And like, if the universe grant me that wish, please. Getting the pot is to, magic. The pot you is manifest magic. it. The pot is magic. Getting back to our gal, La Voisin, uh, the important notes is that she was arrested in 1679 after Marie Bosset, another poisoner, incriminated her. So I'm kind of thinking that, like, that's why I said previously, it wasn't, like, she wasn't automatically a witch. She may have been a witch and, like, in the area of, like, oh, that's the town's witch, but she was never incarcerated immediately because she was a witch. La Vosienne was questioned, and apparently she was intoxicated at this time. She noted that her and Simpan would perform rituals to gain and keep the king's love, essentially. So they like that's where the love potions came in. And they were more on the sense of manipulation rather than murder. I highly recommend Eleanor Herman's book, Sex with Kings. Anywho, she was tried and was one of the 36 people to be sentenced to death burned under the assumption that she was a witch on February 22nd, 1680 in Paris, France, 
and some sources specifically noted that she was quote burned at the stake which gave me some like very salem witch trial vibes um hocus pocus if you will the east york museum of curiosities which is actually a traveling museum has her ear in their collection and the label text says that her executioners cut off her ears before binding her to the stake and burning her at the place de Griff. Like that was a very public display. So this was. Do all- we think that's legit? Like, like, is it actually her ear? No, no. I think it's like the Jesus foreskin where like so many people claimed. I just thought it was cool. Jesus that, is like, what? Museum. Have you not heard that? No. Alana, oh my God. Google Jesus's foreskin. And also Napoleon's penis. Yeah. That was going to be like my, I'm glad one of you guys jumped in. I don't know if it's super true that this is like, it's probably not her real ear and looking at it. I was like, this is just like shriveled up skin. Cartilage, I don't think should hold up that well, especially if it's like from a witch. Like, why would they keep that of all things? I, I don't know. But I just thought it was cool how like this museum was like, look. Maybe it's magic, Haley. Maybe the ear is magic. Okay, you know what? Magic is real. To leave on a more happier artistic note, the Met actually has a cool etching called The Portrait of La Voisienne, and it's in public domain. So if you want to hang up like a cool spooky print, highly recommend. I'm thinking of doing it. Um, It should be one of the pictures that we're like posting on our socials because we're recording this before. Lexi's giving me the thumbs up. Go look at our socials, but here's a quick descriptor. Uh, It's like her... She's not pleased with getting this etching done or, like, this portrait done. And there's some, like, skeletons, some demons around her. Like, very what you think of, like, spooky-ooky 1600s, let's paint a witch, if you will. But I hope you enjoyed, like, that little snippet, as Lexi would say, an uwu. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it a lot. An uwu? (laughs) An uwu? No, no, no. Uwu isn't a snippet. Uwu is, like, a sound you make that's cute. Uwu. Ooh. I thought it's the U W U on a keyboard because it's like a cute face. U W U. Fucking youths! I totally did not know what ooh was until now. As Lexi would say, an ooh. What? <laughs> I feel like if they don't know by now, I'm currently knitting as I'm yeah. reading you guys' stories. We're old they don't know like I'm an old lady. Old and ladies. now the letters go to these cases, where postal clerks sort them according to where they are to go and how they are to get there. (laughs) We are going to be traveling from France, just a hop, skip, and a jump up to Germany, and I will be talking about Katharina Henot, or potentially Henoth, or Katharina, or Catherine, or whatever. She's German, and I don't speak German. I speak German even less than I speak a lot of other languages, so bear with me. One of my sources is a blog, she listed her sources, which seemed legit, but they were in German and she speaks German. So I'm, I'm trusting her on that. Katharina was born sometime between 1570 and 1580. It's not really certain. Um, her mother was a Dutch noblewoman living in Cologne, potentially having been displaced from the Spanish-Dutch War. Uh, she had a lot of siblings and the family really valued education. So there was a lot of education in the family and it was mostly through the church and they were just very a very pious family, very devoted. 
Um, her father was in charge of reorganizing the postal system in Cologne. He was the postmaster general of Cologne. And so he was reorganizing it with the help from Katharina and her husband. Her husband is unnamed. It just be like that. In 1603, political conflict, a rivalry with the Prince of Taxis. It is spelled like taxis, but I think pronounced taxis because I did do the Google Translate into German thing or into English thing, and it said taxis, and I was like, taxis? What about taxis? Prince of taxis. Um, Again, so like of ta- where I got neighbor for like La Voicienne of like my translation with Google. So yeah. we're all in the same boat. <laughs> if you we're have better translations, hit us up. Yeah. I love Please. how like every time we're like, we don't speak this language. I'm so sorry, but I feel it'd be worse if we stuck to just like what we could read out being exactly. English. Exactly. We're trying to, we're trying so hard. We're trying so hard. Um, but a rivalry with the Prince of Taxis cast Katharina's father out of power. He had dreams of centralizing post office in Germany, which would make a postmaster general in Cologne obsolete. But her father was reinstated in 1623, but he was also 91 by then. So Katharina took over and became postmaster general or postmistress general. And her father died in 1625, but worried that the income would be taken away or... Some other things, bad things would happen. Katharina and her brother hid their father's death for three months. They were forging signatures and just like didn't have him buried. They were eventually found out after three months. And this reinvigorated her father's political rival. And he took power away from Katharina and her brother. And they sue for it back and they lose. And this is where the rumors of Katharina's witchcraft start in 1626. The nuns at the convent where her sister and her daughter live and where she also made sizable donations to this convent. But these nuns claimed that she bewitched them and has had sex with the devil and all the like, you know, good, good witch stuff, which is so like they knew her. Her sister lived there. Her daughter lived there. She spent so much money there. It's presumably where she would pray. But she does have some political sway because she's the postmaster general of Cologne or postmistress or whatever. So she wrote to the archbishop who she had lent money to. And so was like, hey, remember that time that I lent you all that money? Can I be tried in church court instead of secular court? Because church court, if I showed remorse, I probably wouldn't be punished too severely, even though I didn't do anything wrong. But if I, I can pretend that I'm sorry for what I did and not die. And the archbishop is like, no, heart emoji. So she was arrested uh, officially in January of 1627. She was tortured several times. She was not told the charges. She was denied medical care. She lost the use of her right hand from torture. But she never broke because she wasn't a witch. And she wrote letters to her brother that were just like, these are the conditions that I'm being kept in, like what they're doing to me. They haven't told me what I'm being accused of, but I'm innocent. Um, in May of 1627, she was executed for witchcraft. The Australian said that she was blamed for a plague of caterpillars, but I didn't see that in any of my other sources. But it was too intriguing not to bring up. Blamed for a plague of cal- caterpillars. Okay. But she was charged with the death of five people, having sex with the devil, magic in general all that good witchy stuff 
the standard. Her case was reopened and she was exonerated in 2012 for some reason. This evangelical priest named Hartmut Hegler found it upsetting, quote, as a Christian to see innocent people wrongly convicted. There's a lot to unpack there about evangelicals, and I don't want to say anything, but whew, oh boy. And then a descendant of Katharina's named Martina Hertz said, quote, I do think she should have her name cleared, but I think of the endless amount of people still living who are being mistreated and find that much worse. Which, yeah, bigger, bigger fish to fry, Mr. Evangelical Priest. It's possible that she was singled out for political reasons because she was so outspoken and so very much like, let me have my postmaster job. I've been doing it. Let me do it. I'm not going to like. Women can't be male. (laughs) M-A-I-L. Women can't be male. Women can't be post. I really like that. Women can't be male. And no post on Sundays. That's not true anymore. But okay. And it's a Harry Potter reference. And, and it's J.K. Harry Rowling reference. sucks. So J.K. Rowling there's layers sucks. to that. <laughs> there are lots of layers to that. One of my sources was like, it's unknown why she was actually targeted for this, why she was singled out. And I'm like, mm, you know why. You know why. It's because she was a woman and she was seeking political power. This was like right at the beginning. She was one of the first women to be executed for witchcraft in, in Germany because those started around 1627 and they were brutal. They're all brutal. But like, because women are, or women had been targeted for lots of reasons. And one of them is because seeking political power. Or any sort of power. So many witches are women who stayed single and unmarried or didn't want children. My witch just wanted her potential husband to like her. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. I feel like witch is thrown around a lot as an accusation for people who were just different. Because women were also persecuted like midwives who were blamed for when babies died. Yeah, that's why I wanted to look into more being like the abortionist part for my lady. But all I really got that I was comfortable being like this is credible was because of child sacrifice nothing that it was something like medical but what i feel like is possible and this is just speculation it's like she performed abortions Abortions. and they thought that was child sacrifice but really she was probably helping desperate women so there's Mm -hmm. layers to that that's like where i was going for because like while she had the name of being like a professional poisoner i felt like some of the poisons could really be medications that other people were scared of well also it goes back to that poisoner we talked about i think it was a julia tofana Mm -hmm. in our crime you know we see her as this criminal but she was helping desperate women get out of bad situations and like yeah murder sucks but sometimes in history women have been left with very little i mean that goes back to witchcraft right like my Mm -hmm. woman or you know other witches turn to really extreme measures to get what they needed like hers was to be loved other people have done things to be recognized politically other people have done things to just reassert their power because so often it's taken away from women throughout history and then they get accused of witchcraft and men have been accused of witchcraft i'll put that out Mm -hmm. there people who were gay or non-binary presented in a different way than the traditional gender roles of their society were considered witches in some ways were considered to practice dark magic and were persecuted 
that's why I really tried to say humans for this point, because a lot of them would be like 36 people, mostly women. And again, with like the 400 names, mostly women would always yeah. be the addendum of like that's one of those things numbers is so the book that I'm going to put in the in further reading is called witch craze by Anne Llewellyn Barstow part of it like part of the introduction is why women were targeted and I didn't really care for her comparison I thought it was actually it was pretty good but reading it anytime I read a holocaust comparison I'm a little bit but it was like looking at the statistics for witch hunts and seeing that it's mostly women and not recognizing it as a misogyny problem is like looking at how the Holocaust, how Hitler targeted mostly Jews, but not seeing it as an anti-Semitism problem. More valid comparison than pro-lifers who compare abortion to the Holocaust. Yeah. Much more valid. And I yeah. can't think of another good way to illustrate that point. Like she has a point to say yeah. that even though there were people who were not women who were persecuted, the reason it was mostly women, it's definitely rooted in something a lot deeper. It's not a mistake. Yes, it's not a coincidence. Right. Oh, I was really nervous coming into this episode because I felt like my research wasn't just like hardcore. I felt shaky about it. I felt like very, like I said, eerie, but like it was definitely a spooky research thing for me. Like I really felt like something was missing, but like right now I've loved this episode. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at LadyHistoryPod. Show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our extra ooky spooky theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're telling the tales of some political icons. Do you know them? I guess you're going to have to find out.